turn to page 4, we're going to read from Genesis chapter 6. If you didn't receive a Bible on your way in, uh, throw your hand up and uh, Paul or Rachel can grab a Bible for you. It'd be great to follow along in the Bible, not just now, but as Paul speaks to us. Everyone got one? Great. Genesis chapter 6 on page 4. When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, man and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten, and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And our second reading tonight is uh, from 2 Peter. It's on page 861 in your Bibles. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll read from verse 3, and that's page 861. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Uh, By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. 
But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I want to uh, begin by sharing with you what is probably one of the most encouraging things someone said to me in the last year. A guy who comes to Southern Night Church, he said to me after church one night, he said, I spent the last five, six years going to a church, and I go every week, and I've been told every week that I'm wonderful, and that I can do great things for God. And he said, I left every week, and I went home feeling utter, utter failure. Because I knew I wasn't wonderful, and I knew I wasn't perfect, and I could not do great things for God. He said, I've joined this church, and it's almost like I come every week, and Paul, you tell me I'm a sinner. And I leave here, and I realize I'm a wretched sinner. But you also tell me that because of God's grace, and because of God's kindness, I'm loved by God. He said, I leave church every week, and... I just think, wow, God is so good (laughs) that he should save me, who is a wretched sinner. And the reality, my friends, is that a lot of churches in Sydney and a lot of churches around the world don't like talking about things like sin. And they hate talking about things like judgment. And they even neglect to talk about things like grace. Because a lot of churches around Sydney, a lot of churches around the world just focus on me. And tell me how wonderful I am. But that's not what the Bible says. And if you leave here tonight thinking you're wonderful, you'll have misunderstood everything I've said tonight. See, Noah and the flood is a story that I think that we, we think that we know well. You know, it's a story about a nice man called Noah and all these animals that go into the ark two by two. And if you read any of the kids' Bible stories, it's a, a great picture of animals and arks and 40 days of floods and rain coming down, and you've got a nice dove. You know, a nice dove with an olive branch. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of peace in the world, isn't it? Our world uses that, that as a picture of peace today, a, a dove with an olive branch. And then that cute little rainbow. How nice is that? And we think it's a nice, cute kid story. I've got a lot of ground to cover tonight, so I'm going to say right up front. The story of Noah and the story of the flood should be R-rated. It's an adult story. It's not a kid's story because it's a story about judgment. It's a story about a God who looks at his world and is so grieved and he hates sin so much that he destroys, utterly, utterly destroys every living creature on his planet. Apart from one man and his family called Noah. And we're supposed to read this story, and if you're like me, you're supposed to be utterly disturbed by that because 
there are people that you know and people that you love, your friends and your family and your work colleagues who are, who are not in Christ. And so the idea of God's judgment and the idea of hell should utterly disturb you. This is not a kid's story tonight. It's a very serious story of a God who loves his world so much that he bothers to judge his world. And I hope that tonight's sermon will shake you up. It will shake you into action. It will shake you into urgency in talking about Jesus. It will shake you into a realization that this world is going to end. This world is going to be destroyed. And it will shake you to believe that Jesus is coming back. Because that's how the New Testament picks up this story of Noah. We heard about it in 2 Peter 3. It's on the screen. By these waters, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. Uh, Jesus says the same things in Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field, one will be taken, and the others left. And that's the backdrop for understanding Genesis 6 to 8. This was a real historical event at a certain time in history. It's the only event in the whole of Genesis that has a date put to it. God did destroy his world by a flood. He did wipe out mankind, but it's kind of like a trailer, a tease if you want, to say, I've told you I'm coming again. I've told you I'll destroy this world again, not by a flood, but by the flames, by fire. Jesus will come back, he'll wrap up his world, and those of us who have understood and believed and and gone into the ark, the ark's just Jesus the one who rescues us from the floods, from the fire, from the flames. Those of us who are sheltered under the the ark that's called the cross of Christ, we're safe. But listen carefully, every single man, woman and child who denies Christ, on that day will be a day of destruction. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that as we read this chapter tonight, the Spirit would so impact you and impact me that we'll be shaken by judgment, but marveling at God's grace. Let me pray. Lord, your word is powerful and precious. You promise that as your word goes out, it will not return empty. And so, Lord, as we come to this topic of judgment and, and yes, grace, Lord, tonight, Lord, would you teach us, would you open our mind Would you not harden our hearts? Would you shake us? Would you give us an urgency and a realization that this world is coming to an end and that your son will return? And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. And usually I've got no clear points tonight. I'm just going to look at the whole of 5, 6, 7, and 8. I want you to think of these two questions. What's the heart of man and what's the heart of God? What's the heart of man... What's the heart of God? Uh, let's go back to chapter 5. That's where it begins. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is the written account of Adam's line. Uh, when God created man, he made him in the, in the likeness of God. We saw that in Genesis 1. 
We're made in the image of God, in his likeness. We have dignity, we have value, we have worth, we have a, a, a uniqueness in, in God's creation. Verse 2, he created them man and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son. The next, three, next four words, a son in his own likeness. In his own image. And the alarm bells are going, but, but sin's entered the world now. And Adam, yes, he's made in the likeness of God, but also he's made marred by sin. And as soon as Adam has a son called Seth, he is marred by sin. He has a bath towards sin. And then death enters the world. Verse 4, after Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived 930 years, and then he, and then he died. Uh, verse 8, and then he died. Uh, verse 11, then he died. Uh, verse 14, then he died. It's like a, a bell that tolls for this chapter. He was born, he lived, he died. He born, he was lived, he died. He was born, he lived, he died. He born, lived, died. Born, lived, died. Because that's what life is about. This is an extraordinary chapter. Chapter 5 of Genesis covers 1,600 years in one chapter. That's about the whole of the rest of the Bible put together in one chapter. And we're told nothing about these people apart from they were born and they'd had a son and then they died. Because that's what life's about, isn't it? We're born, we live, we sin, and then we die. And then we meet a man called Noah. That's where the story really begins. His name means rest or comfort. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. When men began to increase in number on the earth, they're just fulfilling the, the creation command to, to be fruitful, increase in number. And daughters were born to them. Uh, verse 2 is such a tricky verse. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, and they were beautiful. And they married any of them they chose. It's a difficult verse. People say, oh, the sons of God could be angels. Because that's how the word sons of God is used in the Old Testament, uh, in Job and in Psalm 29, sons of God to mean the angels. So heavenly beings having sex with the daughters of men. It could mean that. It could just mean that the godly men saw the daughters of men, uh, the, the women who didn't belong to God, and they intermarried. So the godly people marrying the unbelievers. It could mean that. I don't think it really matters. The issue there is, look at the wording, See if you can spot it. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were literally good and they took any of them they chose. They saw it was good and they took. What does it remind you of? Genesis 3. The woman saw the fruit and it was good and she took it. And God is just saying sin is still in the world. This world is full of sin. And that's his verdict. Down in verse 5. The Lord God saw, saw how good his world was. No, the Lord God saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's the heart of man. It's called total depravity. Total depravity. Uh, sin, just so you get it, sin is not just doing naughty things. 
Sin is not just the occasional mess up. Sin is that deep disposition to say, I don't care about God, I'm going to do things my way. Sin is living in God's world and just saying, I know you're there, God, and I know that you made me God, but I want to do things my way. People say to me, oh, but the world's changed, hasn't it? You know, things have only got better. Have they? Has the human heart really got better? In your heart, don't you struggle with selfishness and stubbornness and the occasional lie and sexual immorality and hatred and greed and manipulation and resentments and things haven't got better at all, have they? I'm saying this because you've got to be realistic about yourself. You're not good. You are not good. You're not perfect. God says every inclination of the human heart is only evil all the time. It's called sin. That's the sin problem. That's the heart problem. Think about this. God knows what you are thinking all the time. God knows what you are thinking all the time. God knows the words that are on your lips every second of every minute of every day. God knows what you're really thinking about the person who has really annoyed you. And now tell me that you're a good person. Please don't pretend, please don't try and cover up. Your heart is sinful. You're totally depraved. Now what's God's heart like? What's the heart of God like? Verse 6. The Lord was grieved. He was grieved that he'd made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. I love that verse. Do you feel it? When you sin, God feels it in his heart. When you sin, God is emotionally troubled by your sin. The word grief is like a grieved lover who has been wronged. It's like the grieved spouse who is heartbroken at the adultery their spouse has committed. Or it's actually like the, 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 the bitterly disappointed parent. Can you imagine that you raised a child and you fed them and you clothed them and they lived under your roof and they hurt you time and time and time again, but you kept forgiving them. And then they turned around to you and they said, I'm going to change my identity. I never want to speak to you again. I want to live in your house still. I live under your roof still, and I'll still eat your food, and I'll still take your bed, and I'll still take your clothing, but I'm just going to ignore you the rest of my life. If you were the parent of that child, wouldn't a heart full of pain and a heart full of grief be a good description? That's how God feels at your sin. God knows that something beautiful has been destroyed, and God feels deeply and loves deeply. He is deeply, deeply, deeply grieving at your sin. And he kind of reaches the stage where he is totally sad that we exist as humans at all. And he's just and he's holy and sin must be punished. And so he'll judge. He will judge. That's in verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals, creatures that move on the ground and the birds of the air, for I'm grieved that I've made them. It's a reverse of creation all mankind, every animal, 
every dog, every cat, every lion, every elephant, every rabbit, every monkey, every giraffe, every bear, and listen carefully, every man, every woman, every boy, every child, every old person, every young person, everybody, every single living creature will be totally and utterly wiped out. It is mass destruction. I don't know how you cope with death. How do you cope when someone dies? Most of the time we just think, oh, that's life. We've been shaken by death in the last week, haven't we, as Michael Jackson passes away, and the whole world is thinking about death. But again, it doesn't hit us personally until someone we know and someone we love dies. Well, it doesn't really hit us in the same way until there is mass destruction. We thought about how the whole world stopped in January this year with the bushfires. Because there was mass destruction and mass death. And the whole world stops when the Twin Towers happens because there's mass destruction. And I think about this. It's hard to cope with. What God is saying here is every single man, woman, boy and girl and child on the earth and every animal will be wiped out by his hand. Verse 7, I myself will wipe mankind whom I've created not by terrorism, not by a nuclear bomb, but by a flood. And you're probably sitting here thinking, Paul, that's a bit harsh, it's a bit heavy tonight. Couldn't God have given them a second chance? God had given them 1,600 years of chances. Couldn't God have sent a a good man, a a perfect man to model to them? He did. His name was Enoch. You can read about him in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 24, Enoch walked with God. He didn't die, he was no more, because God took him away. He was a perfect man, but no one looked at him. Please remember that, that God's judgment is what Isaiah 28 calls his strange work, his alien task. He doesn't enjoy judging. And please don't think that God is his angry tyrant. He's not, he's the, the heartbroken weeping, sobbing father who doesn't want anyone to perish but he must punish sin that's the heart of God who grieves sin and he will judge sin but he's also a God of grace there are two great buts in this passage the first one is in verse 8 6 verse 8 but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord this is the account of Noah Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. He is righteous. The word there in verse 9 just means that he was upright. He avoided sin. He wasn't perfect, but he was a good man. You know, the good bloke that you talk about. And he was blameless among the people of his time. So the people of his time pointed out, that man, though, he's a good man, but he wasn't perfect. And he walked with God, verse 9. It's a beautiful picture of, of walking with a friend, walking with a lover. So why did God choose Noah? Because he was righteous? Because he was a good man? Look at verse 8 again. Literally it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, God's grace found Noah. God looked out and he reached out and he saw a man who wasn't perfect and he reached out his hand and he called out to him, and gave him that second chance. That's what grace does, isn't it? Grace 
sees wretched, miserable sinners and reaches out to them and gives them a second chance. Grace sort of breaks that cycle where you're born and you live and you die. You're born and you live and you die. No, you're born and you live and you sin, but then God's grace grabs you and promises you that you won't die, but you have eternal life. And grace must be shouted out to you tonight that there is hope, there's a future, but you can't save yourself. Yes, God will judge you, but God has been gracious. How else is God gracious? He's gracious because he warns Noah. Did you spot that? He warns Noah. He speaks to Noah. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence, and God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God spoke to Noah. He warned him, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself this ark with cypress wood and rooms and a coat with pitch inside and out. This is how you're to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Verse 17, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Have you grasped how crazy this is? The dimensions of this boat are utterly ridiculous. Just so you get an idea, it's roughly the size of the opera house. One man and his family building a boat out of wood the size of the opera house. Because God is promising he's going to bring a flood. It's crazy, isn't it? One man in the middle of a desert building this massive, massive boat. Year after year after year. Some people say it took him 120 years to build Day after day after day, building a boat. Someone walked past him, no, what are you doing, building a boat? Why are you building a boat? Oh, because God's going to flood the world. How do you know? God's warned me. You can't be serious. Yeah, I am serious. I take God at his word. See, that's the essence of what's happening. There's a clue down in verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. It's a verse of total obedience. Everything that God said, Noah did. He took God at his word, even when his words seemed utterly, utterly ridiculous. And that's why Noah is the man of faith, because he's chosen by grace, and when God says things to Noah, Noah listens. And when God tells him to do something utterly stupid, like build a boat, Noah obeys. And I think that's a challenge for you and I, isn't it? Have you got it yet? God has promised that he's going to return in blazing fire and destroy his world and everybody who does not know Christ will be destroyed. He's told you that. He's warned you that. He doesn't tell us to build a boat. He tells us to get out there and preach the gospel of Christ because he's the only way you can be saved. He's the ark that you can go into and be saved. And the world will think you're crazy. Just like they thought Noah was crazy. What are you doing? Going to church. Why are you going to church? Because I love Jesus. Why do you love Jesus? Uh, because he's the only way to be saved. Oh, you're crazy. Why are you giving it your time? Because I love Jesus. Why do you love Jesus? Because he's the only way to be saved. You're crazy. Friends, the, the world is supposed to think that we're crazy. The world is supposed to laugh at us and say, that is utterly, utterly ridiculous. God's going to come and judge his world? Yes, he will. With fire, yes, he will. Only those in Jesus will be saved. Yeah, that's right. The world thought Noah was crazy. 
day after day, year after year, building this boat. And the world thinks that, should think that you're crazy if you're living the upright, Jesus-focused life. As Jesus said, life just goes on. In times of Noah, people eating and drinking and marrying and preparing to get married and getting drunk and sleeping around, enjoying their leisure time, and Noah was building a boat. And our world just goes on day after day after day, eating and drinking and sleeping around and getting ready to marry, thinking this world is going to last forever. And we sit here and that we know that the boat is Jesus Christ. The ark is Jesus Christ. He's the one who rescues through the flood, through the flames, and we sit here and we're called to warn people. To warn people, if they don't repent, they don't believe, they'll be destroyed. The world can laugh at me. The world can ridicule me. That's okay. God's been gracious to me. He's warned me. Do people laugh at you? Do people mock you? They should do. Because it sounds utterly, utterly crazy, doesn't it? That one man could die on a cross to forgive you your sins. And that same man's going to come back and destroy the world with flames and fire. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? The world should mock. The world should laugh. Well, it's a bit heavy, isn't it, tonight? I don't like it, they say. No. I don't like it either. But the Word of God tells me that. God's so patient, isn't he? He's so patient. He's waited years and years and years and years, giving us opportunity to repent. But the world doesn't. It just keeps on eating and drinking and sleeping around and preparing to marry just as in the days of Noah. Let's pick up the story again in chapter 7. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I've found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal. Seven because you're going to sacrifice some of them as an offering to the Lord. A male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, just so those species can be continued a male and its mate, and seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. This is it, verse 4. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Can you imagine that? He'd been waiting and waiting and waiting, and God says, next week, next Sunday, it's going to come. And Noah's going, really? And then can you imagine Noah looking around at his family and his friends and all those people going, but these people, where are they going to be? I imagine he wept. But Noah did all the Lord commanded in verse 5. And verse 6, the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and all the creatures that moved on the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of the three sons, entered the ark. And they had with them every kind of animals. Look down to verse 16. The animals were going in, were male and female, of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah, and then the Lord shut him in. Did you spot that? 
Can you imagine being Noah? The rain starts to come. And the rain comes down. And the floods come up. And he's inside this ark. And there's people outside who he knows and he loves. And he can't see them. But he can imagine them swimming and desperately trying to come to the ark and saying, help me, help me, help me. But it's too late. They had the chance to repent. They had the chance to believe. But it's too late. Can you imagine that deathly silence when he realizes that the, the waters are so high now that, that no human being could possibly, possibly, possibly survive? That's judgment day. That is judgment day. And we're supposed to feel it. We're supposed to be disturbed by it. But then you get the picture of great mercy. The picture of grace. Verse 8, chapter 8, verse 1. But God, look at that word, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark and he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. God remembered Noah. That's the turning point of the story. When God remembers, he acts to save. God remembered Abraham, God remembered Rachel, God remembered Noah. And he acts in a way to save them. Do you remember the, the thief on the cross? What did he say to Jesus? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Because that's the only way that Noah could be saved, if God remembered him. God saw him. God rescued him. God saved him. And the rest of chapter 8, you can go away and read it. He sends out a raven, he sends out a dove, and the waters recede. And then Noah steps out of the ark. Look at verse 15. Then, Noah said, then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and bring out, of ev- bring out every kind of living creature that's with you, the birds and the animals and all the creatures that move on along the ground, so you, they can multiply on the earth. Verse 13, so Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. Can you imagine that day? Steps out of the ark. Dry ground. But there'd be utter, utter silence, wouldn't there? Because there's no birds and there's no animals and there's no other human beings. It's like, like a war zone, if you want. Except it's not. It's just a new creation. It's just a new beginning just a new chance and a new life. Are you making the connections yet? Jesus will return. He'll destroy this world by fire. But if you call out, Jesus, remember me. If you've sheltered under his blood, sheltered under the cross and said, yeah, he died for me. He forgave my sins. It's like you're stepping out of the ark into the new creation, the new heavens and a new earth, to a new world, a world with no pain and sickness and crying and mourning and grief because the old world has passed away. That's what this story is all about, my friends. We're wicked. God must judge. 
But God is gracious and sees us and gives us a chance to repent and a chance to believe. I just want to leave you with these two challenges. Please don't say you don't like this sermon. Please don't say I've been too harsh. Please don't tell me, oh, I like to think everyone goes to heaven. They don't. Please don't tell me that you'd like to think that you have plenty of time to repent. We don't. We don't know when he's going to come back. Two challenges for you as I finish. A sense of urgency and a sense of security. There's got to be an urgency. The wrath of God is coming. This world is going to be wiped out with a, with a, with a fire. You've got to talk about Jesus. You've got to talk about the ark. You've got to warn people saying, are you in the ark? Are you in Jesus? Why do you find it so hard to talk about Jesus? I find it hard. Yeah, people might think I'm crazy. People will block their ears. People will say, I don't like it. People will kind of say, oh, I'll just, I'll hope that I'm strong enough. I can swim, swim fast enough to survive the flood and battle through the flames. You can't. I'm going to leave this challenge. Who are you going to talk to this week about Jesus? Who are you going to sit down with this week, someone that you love, and warn them and talk about Jesus? Who? But the security, isn't it? I'm going to leave you with this. The ark, the refuge, the protection from the fires of hell is a man called Jesus Christ. And when we say, remember me, Jesus, you can be absolutely certain, absolutely secure that he will. And when the floods come, when the fire comes, rather, he'll protect you through those flames. He doesn't promise to protect you from the floods of life. He doesn't promise to protect you through sufferings and hardships of this life. But he does promise that when he destroys this world, that he'll take you home. And you can step out of that ark into a new creation and live with him for all eternity. That's the, the most secure thing I can tell you, isn't it? You're saved by grace. God will remember you if you're sheltering under, under the cross of Christ. I'm going to give you a moment now in silence. There may be people tonight who for the first time have realised that judgment is coming, that this world is going to be destroyed and that Jesus Christ is the only hope and the only way. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. I'll give you a moment now just to think about the urgency, think about your security. And then I'm going to pray. Lord saw how great man's wickedness had become and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time Lord we stand before you tonight as sinners in need of your grace as wretched sinners who 
deserve nothing and are helpless and are hopeless without Christ. Lord, help us to grasp how much you grieve sin, how much you hate sin. Help us to understand how you must judge sin. Lord, you have warned us, you have promised that Christ will return. Time and time and time again, you, you remind us of that great truth. And yet often we live as though we're going to live forever and this world is going to keep spinning forever. Lord, I pray tonight there might be people for the first time who have understood their only refuge, their only hope, the only ark is a person called Jesus Christ who would take them through the flames and through the fire and bring them to eternal life. Lord, if there are people here tonight, I pray that you would give them the joy, the joy of eternal life. Give them a heart of repentance and a heart of belief. And Lord, I I thank you for your grace. Thank you that we have found favour in your eyes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us, remind us, Lord, of that grace. Remind us of the security. But please give us that urgency. And I plead that for Jesus' sake. Amen.